Welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the Discount Property Investor way. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit FreeWholesaleCourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. I am your host, David Dodge. And today I have a special guest. Andrew Abernathy is joining me. And I met this guy in Tampa, Florida a couple weeks ago. We are both in the same mastermind group. And this mastermind has uh, little mini meetups throughout the year. And it's such a valuable group. I love this group. And Andrew and I actually stayed at the same house together and neither one of us knew each other. So we actually had a good opportunity to meet each other. And I got Andrew on the show today. So we're going to pick Andrew's brain. This guy is doing huge things. Saying that he's doing big things is an understatement. He's <laughs> doing huge things. So I'm really, really happy to have Andrew on. I'm grateful for Andrew and his time. Andrew, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Yeah, Florida was, uh, yeah, I met some good guys, including yourself that weekend. It was a good time. Very Florida lucky. Florida was yeah. cool. So we were down in Florida. We were flying fighter jets, guys. It was awesome. a bucket list item for sure. So we're really, uh, again, really happy to be in that group. So Andrew, again, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. I was impressed. I am impressed with, you know, basically you being in your late 20s, which is extremely young yep. for any real estate investor in general, especially one that's doing the things that you're doing. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got started. Yeah, of course. Appreciate it. So uh, 27, I grew up in North Dakota, uh, basically dead center up towards the Canadian border, family farm, six uh, siblings, including myself. So five siblings, there's six of us. And um you know, started working for my dad on the farm at a young age, five bucks an hour, and uh, started on the farm at 10. By 14, I had about $4,000 saved up, and that's when I jumped into the stock market. You know, I was only 14 years old, but March, my birthday, March 23rd of 09, you know, the market bottomed in March 5th of 09. So, you know, kind of lucky on timing, but four to How much did you cents. have saved? What's that? How much did you have saved? $4,000. That's it. $4,000. That's it. At five bucks an hour. <laughs> well, I would have had 6000 but I spent 2000 on a red go-kart. I mean, can you blame me? I mean, I was only 14. I love so, it, man. I love it. Yeah, I threw it in and the 4000 I turned it to 80000 by my 10th grade in high school. You know, so it was about 2010, year and a half later. And then, um, then I went to real estate. I found some apartments in Bismarck, about three hours from where I grew up, uh, capital of North Dakota. I bought them and the oil boom hit. And so it's a funny story though. So I went to my buddy's dad. He's a banker in Mohall, town of 800. And I'm like, hey, I need $1.25 million for these apartments in Bismarck. And I'm like, here's 80,000 cash, right? My money from the stock market. And he's like, Andrew, that's pretty cool and stuff. But I mean, to buy these, you're going to need another 300,000 and some personal guarantees. So anyways, I went and I printed off Warren Buffett's original 1956 partnership agreement because I couldn't afford a lawyer at the time. And I went and raised 300,000 from two farmers in two days and went back and got the loan and went and bought them. And then the oil boom hit. 
and we sold them for two million uh, before I even graduated high school. Wow! So you turned four thousand into eighty k in the stock market. Yeah. And then you took eighty k and you raised a little bit more money. I'd assume, right? That's what you yep. did. Uh, that raised that three hundred. Yeah. To get the down payment, and you bought those apartments for how much? A one point one point one five. 1.15 million was the purchase price. Yeah. So you them held for them for just million. what, two, three years or a couple of no, years? No, I held them for 15 months because the oil boom hit. That's it. 15 months. Yeah. The Bakken formation hit right after we bought them and, and things went nuts in North Dakota. Everybody probably just started moving up there, right? Yeah. So we our, rent, our rents went from 400 to 800 in like 10 months. So by the 15th month, the city actually bought them from us and tore them down to add onto the school. We were right next to a school in Bismarck. Oh my goodness. So we cashed out, called about, it was about a million bucks after fees and everything of that sort. So the 380,000 went into a million in 15 months. And I only put an 80 of that. And these guys, I'm like, Hey, here's your money back. And they're like, Andrew, that was awesome. You keep, you keep 350 and then our 650, uh, 325 each, we want you to invest it again, but we want to pay you. So that's when Abernathy Holdings, um, started and, uh, and that's that such was, a cool story. That million so went awesome. right into that, that bank account. And I was graduating high school at the time. And we were farming. My brother and I were farming at the time. And we had a, we had a custom combining company. We had a lot of things going on. But this is just this little, this little road here. Man, this is, what a cool road. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. So basically, you had sold these before you were even out of high school. Yeah, it was, uh, right, it was a few months before I walked down the, the graduation aisle, whatever you call that. <laughs> wow. That's crazy, man. That's so crazy. All right. So these two investors are loving you, yeah, right? Yeah, they're happy. <laughs> they're really happy. You're happy. You made some money. You made them some money. And yep. then now they say they want to pay you to invest their money. And they're going to basically give you this money that you made them back, right? Correct. So between the, once I started with the 4,000. So when I was graduating high school, I had the 350 for my real estate and then the farm operations and, and other stuff I was doing. I, my net worth was a million um, before I graduated high school um, on paper. And so 350 at that point was allocated to Abernathy Holdings and then the other um, 650,000 was, was other ventures. Um, so then, yeah, so then I went and I was going to college and I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to need more money because I don't want to do the stock market. I want to, I want to go buy big companies like Warren Buffett style. And so I went and raised, uh, farming was good. So farming has been really good. Like three times in the past hundred years. And this was one of them. So I went and was knocking on doors. Now, how long is it good for when you say like three times over a hundred years, is it good for like 10 year periods or just? Yeah. Yeah. It goes pretty good for call it 10 years. Okay. And then it kind of okay. cycles. And hopefully that gets those good times get tighter as we go forward in the future right. with just maturing industries. Sure, sure. Um, so I went and I was knocking on doors when I wasn't in college one rainy day, we weren't in the field because I was farming and doing this at the side. And I raised a million dollars in one day. So I would just go knock on 10 doors, 10, I'd go to 10 farmers in, in our region that, you know, we all knew each other. And I'd be like, Hey, and they'd be like, yeah, farming's good. Here's a, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Pretty cool track record. So I went and raised in a matter of 12 months, I raised $10 million. So I had 10 plus the one. So I had 11 million and I was like 19. Um, and then that's when we, and then I went and bought my first company. Um, I bought an equipment dealership that started so you, in 1947. You did all this knocking on doors? Yeah. Holy cow, dude, that in itself is impressive. Holy cow. So in the 12 months, you raised 10 million more. So you had 11 million at this point. Yeah. 
Wow. All right, yeah. cool. Go on, go on. Yeah, so then we went and bought our first operating company's equipment dealership in Great Falls, Montana. And they sell equipment to cities, states, and counties, municipalities across the Midwest. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but it was a good business. It was three and a half million dollar revenue. Um, they were EBITDAs of three to 400,000. And um, so that was part of our money went towards that. And then we bought into an insurance company. Um, now that does $70 million a year and it's public. It's on NASDAQ. We're, we're the largest shareholder with the family. And then we started doing real estate. You know, we, we did some HUD, we did some HUD properties, um, some retail. Um, anyway, so as you can tell at this time of my journey, because nothing's perfect. So I'm going to tell you the goods and the bads. The issue with what I was doing at this point in my journey is I didn't know who I was. I didn't really have an identity. Um, I really wasn't focused on anything. I was, I was great at a lot of things, wasn't amazing at anything. That was the issue at this point in my life. Um, so I kind of plateaued there, right? I raised this money. I didn't, who, how, how do I do an elevator pitch on who I am? It was just too confusing, right? I'm all over the place. And then, um, so the fund, the company from 2012 to like 2017 went from 35,000 a share in Abernathy Holdings to like, I think it was like 70,000. So we doubled our money in like five years. And that's when I hit my first loss. So by being too wide and not knowing who it was, we went and bought into a helicopter company with like 10 or 15% of our portfolio and lost it all. Um, the management, I didn't, our, the numbers were great, but the management, the team was not what I thought. And anyways, we lost it. And that's when I sat there and I, I went to my mentor, Gary, and that's when he told me, Andrew, you know, you've really got to focus. You got to figure something out. You're great at a lot of things, but like, you know, you're amazing at anything. So at this time you had, you, you didn't have that real estate anymore. Cause you had sold that off from, yep. from the 1 million to $2 million increase. Um, but you went out, you had raised an additional 10 million. So you had about 11 million. You yep. bought an insurance company. You bought an equipment dealership, or I should say the equipment dealership first. Yep. And an insurance company and then a helicopter company. So you and had just more real estate. Yeah. Say that again. We had some, we had HUD, we had a 90 plex HUD property, some retail. So we had a couple of real estate. And you things. had some other, some other real estate in there too. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I guess the question is, is when you went to buy the helicopter company, you still had the equipment dealership and the insurance company and that real estate. This was just basically yeah. another thing. It wasn't like the only thing you were doing at the time. No. Yeah. It was oh, all. Right. Now right? I'm stuff. like, Man, holy cow. Yeah. Who is Andrew? Who are you? Like at this yeah, who moment, are you? I, I was just going to say, what, what do you, why you got so many things, man? <laughs> <laughs> I was 20, you know, 21 uh, building a plane as I'm flying it, as they say. Yeah, for sure. I heard that before. Okay. So yeah. what went wrong with this helicopter company? Why did that not work out? So all the numbers made sense. And I actually, we did well. So we bought it. It was publicly traded. So okay. we bought it at 10 a share. We put a million in and then we went to 20. So we sold and made a million dollar profit, like six months. Okay. And then after, then I looked back three months later and went from 20 back down to 10. And I'm like, what the heck? So I put a, put a million in, went to eight, put a million in, went to six, put another million in, so we're three in. And this is after the oil crash. So I'm just like, hey, it's gonna be fine. Like it's cyclical. They had the assets, the cash on hand, all the numbers were good. Well, the management though, you missed that piece. I don't have control and the management withheld information and had a lawsuit against them and a deal fell through. And it was a, I actually, we were the lead plaintiffs of a civil lawsuit and we won. So we sued them, but we got 10 cents in the dollar and yeah, they're in jail, but it doesn't matter. It took three years and it was just a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
So, man, hiccups along the way. That's all part of the game. All yep. right. All right. Or in 2017, right. uh, I would be 23. Um, and I did get on the board of that public company, the insurance company. Nice. That's kind of funny. So I went to the management. I'm like, hey, now that I'm the one of the largest shareholders, I'd like to be on the board. And they said, hey, you know, we we, we have it so that you have to be um, experienced in prior public companies. So we can waive that. But they said the insurance commissioner of Alabama requires you to be 30 years or older to be on a public company board. So I'm like, okay, well, how do we, how do we address how do that? How do we change? Yeah. yeah. So they said, well, you have to lawyer up and go and try to get an exemption. So I did. I got, I spent a whole year audits, meetings in the insurance commission in Montgomery. And we changed, I got an exemption from the law to join the board at 25, 24. So I wow. joined the board. Nice. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, and you're still on the board? Yes, still am. Nice. How often does it meet? Uh, four times a year. Nice. Yep, That's in awesome, Montgomery. Man. That's very good. Um, so we, so anyways, I'm 23. I'm in this moment where I made my first mistake. And I had my billionaire mentor tell me that I'm, you know, good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. And that was a turning point in my life where I said, all right, Andrew, like, what are you going to be known for? What are you going to do? So I took Gary Theraldson's model of, I knew that real estate was my thing. You know, that this is what I was good at. So I went and I said, okay, you know, so many people in the world, they try to find the idea, right? Like they sit around till they're 50, like, yeah, someday the sun will shine just right. And the idea will fall on my lap. I'm a believer that there isn't the idea. There's simply an idea that you make the idea out of, right? So I just took a list of real estate. I'm like, what can I print like Gary? What can I develop? and just make a printing machine of a certain real estate class. And I was down to self-storage and um, assisted living facilities. I thought both were good markets, but it being a simple farm boy like I am, I thought, gosh, assisted living, that's, that's, good. that's more employees and a little more above my head a little bit. It's a lot more expenses. Yes. And that's just day too much. To day, managing a bunch of people and yeah. people are going to be dying in the home and you're going to have to have nurses, you're going to have to have doctors. Yeah, so we dealt have tenants and toilets, and yeah, it's just a lot, right? Yeah, and we dealt with that with our HUD building. That was assisted living HUD building. So we, you know, we the dead, you know, it's tough. And so, anyways, I picked self storage. You know, um, you can build a thirteen million dollar facility, and it'll be worth twenty once it's stabilized. These Class A facilities, and you need one and a half to two people to run them. So your revenue per employee is phenomenal. There's one toilet in each building, and they're just a good asset class. It's ninety five percent of storage is still mon pa and only 5% is owned by the major REITs. And I like um, fragmented industries because it, it, it's a lot of opportunity to come in and someone like myself to consolidate it. Um, so that's what we've been doing. And um, we went and we kept the equipment dealership because that makes sense, right? We can use the equipment from there. Vertical integration was our new um, business plan. Um, helicopter company was gone. Everything outside of storage for real estate was sold. Um, our insurance company, we're trying to figure out how we can do our own tenant insurance. But if that doesn't work, we'll sell and put that in our development pile. We have a garage door dealership now. We bought a construction company. We're looking at starting a title company. So just to make it easy for you, um, for the numbers, um, a facility is about 13 to 13 and a half million. And that includes cash for the negative run rate once they open. Yeah. And the bank on that, let's say at 35% easy numbers, they need about 5 million cash. 
Well, our vertical companies profit about 1.2 million. And when I say vertical companies, that's the equipment, garage door, dealership, construction, all combined. They profit on each project about 1.2 million because we do it in-house. So we'll go and say, all right, so we need to give the bank 3.8 million, but we have an instant equity credit of five. And then so once, so we're, the cool thing is we go and make, you know, um, 20 some percent before the doors open. And then um, that 13 investments worth about 20 each building um, in about a two to three year time frame, And we focus only on major cities, um, 100,000 population through my radius, 100,000 income, which leads us to the, we're in the Sun Belt. It's like Phoenix, you know, um, Southern California has got a lot of good population and density. And right now we're averaging three a year. So 36 million, but we have the funding in place to do 12 a year. So about 200 million, roughly 180 million of development annually. And there's $4.6 billion annually spent in the US for self-storage development. So right now we do half, uh, 4.6 billion annually in the U.S. Is what's spent on storage? For development. Now, wait, you're not saying like just people that coming in with their- This is know, building. ass mattress and, and <laughs> box full of, uh, of baseball cards that are, that are doing, you're talking about development, building yep. stuff. 4.6 billion because everybody's like cost per foot to rent or buy is going up and people- still want to live in certain areas and they'll pay the same price, but their houses are shrinking a little bit to compensate for that extra cost per foot. So we're building these dense areas where they can drive to our beautiful three-story, looks more like a hotel facilities, public storage is who we build for. So public storage and extra space storage, when we build them, they brand them and manage them for a fee on revenue. So it's also very nice you know, to manage them after. So they'll come in, like these facilities are 96 to 100% occupied. It's insane. And we're getting a buck 70 a foot in Phoenix. And we'll be getting about $2 and 80 cents a foot in Southern California for storage. So right now we're doing about half a percent of the annual development in the U S comes from Abernathy Holdings. And we have the funding today to ramp up by 2025. We're expecting to be doing 5% of all development in the U S will be done by Abernathy Holdings. Wow, dude, that is amazing. Holy yeah, cow, that's so crazy. So 4.6 in development annually. Yep. That is that's a wild good. number, man. That is a crazy big number. Yep. And, and that then, might fluctuate, but yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But I mean, it's not like a hundred million in development. It's 4.6 billion. That's four thousand six hundred million dollars annual going in to develop these big storage facilities. Holy cow. So you said a second ago that you build for public storage. Now, when you say that you're not building and then selling to them, you're building these facilities, maintaining the ownership, and then you bring them in as a manager, right? Correct. So they brand it with their stuff. And do you have to pay for that or do they? They pay for everything. We just got to pay them about 6% annually um, on revenue for a fee. And then we have to like, you know, the cost for, um, we pay pro rata share for advertising in the region and, and uh, regional manager will pay pro rata share direct for that. Um, but overall it's not bad. So Marriott, so I look at the storage industry kind of like what hotels used to be. Hotels in the eighties were very fragmented. Bob's hotel, Jim's hotel, Jeff's hotel, right? 
And then as the Gary Theraldsons in the world came in and, and helped consolidate the industry, they would pay Marriott 12%. They still do 12% of revenue and they have to manage it by themselves. We're sitting here paying public storage, which is equivalent to a Marriott and storage. We're paying them 6% on revenue and they manage it, which is crazy to me. Um, so wait, you're, you're, is there, this is kind of a dumb question, but you're saying that there's still hotels to this day that have the Marriott sign on the, on the building, but it's still a mom and pop that's running that basically. Well, I wouldn't say those are mom and pop, but that's, but like Gary Theraldson, he owns a hundred Marriott's. He owns them, runs them, pays Marriott 12% rev on revenue for their brand. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. But so back in the eighties, he runs them and then yeah. he's paying 12% of gross just for the name, man. So that's crazy. I used to own a restaurant that was a franchise. Yep. Not anything compared to a, a hotel. Let's be honest. But the point that I'm trying to make is I was paying 6% of gross. And in a restaurant, it's razor thin margins. So 6% of gross ended up being almost 50% of net. That's insane. So you're that's, that's about 12%. So you, wow, that's nuts. Isn't that crazy? So I'm curious to, to see, I mean, maybe you know, maybe not, but 12% of gross in that case, what do you think that, that equates to in the net numbers? Um, good question. Well, Gary, and I don't, I don't know much about it, so I won't speak too much on it, but I know Gary says that the extra business that they get um, is more than enough to cover the 12%. That's what he says. That's all I know. Okay. Well then that, that, that's all that matters then. That's but all a that good matters. question. If, if, if for, yeah, being a part of that makes, cause like, to me, I was like resentful. I'm like, yeah. man, I'm giving these guys 40% of the net profit just for the stupid name. I can have my own name, Dave subs, you know, yeah, like, Dave come subs. on. Right. Yeah, right. Holy cow. Okay. Let's stay on, on task, man. It's my bad. I like to kind of <laughs> sometimes take, take the, take the random road here. So they, you, you're, you build it, you own it. They actually come in and brand it. And then you have to pay them 6% plus some of the, some of the, of the annual advertising. Is that right? Yep. And regional manager pro rata share, things like that. Yep. Okay. So it's a little over 6%, which is extremely low. Now we talked a little bit a second ago about, you know, having all of these things when it came to uh, the senior living, right? You're dealing with nurses, you're dealing with doctors, you're dealing with insurance companies and Medicare and Medicaid. And wow, I mean, there's probably 20 other things that you're having to deal with. With public storage, it's pretty simple. I mean, you, you still have to deal with certain things, of course. Um, after this, and I'm talking post-build, it's built, you know, public storage comes in, they manage it at this point. What are you having to deal with? Nothing. <laughs> they Nothing. send us a check every single month and they're new builds. So you don't have any issues there. I mean, obviously it's some renovation costs after 15, 20 years, but we haven't hit that yet. Um, and uh, it is easy. And that's why we've been able to attract, you know, so dance to, remember I told you I raised 12 million by 23. We've raised a hundred million to date. So the last four years, we raised another 88 million. Wow. And I did that all myself. It was me, no, no placement agencies, no nothing. Just you. Yeah. Holy cow, man. That is super, super impressive. That and then bank debt too on top of that. But yeah, that's just equity. That's just equity. Holy cow. Awesome. And so I was able to retain control uh, still. So my wife and I still have control of the company, even with raising a hundred million. 
Yeah, that is that is wild, man. That is that is awesome. Super impressive. And how old are you, Andrew? 27. 27. Holy cow. I'm 37. I got 10 years on you. <laughs> We're all and man. Years. Holy cow. You you've done some crazy things, man. So why would somebody want to do storage? Just kind of a simple question. Yeah. Um, I think we kind of already answered it, but let's just clarify. I mean, obviously the 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 barrier to entry would probably be the biggest reason that's that's going to limit those doing this because these storage facilities are big and you need a lot of land and you're going to need a lot of capital to get into them and obviously you can bring in leverage and debt but you're yep. still going to have to put down what 20 25% we do 35 just to be safe um but yeah you could probably go with 25 i mean the biggest thing is there's different classes of storage there's class a class b class c Class C, for example, so we're class A, you know, we'll spend a mil- 500,000 to a million dollars an acre on dirt. We can build a hundred thousand square foot facility on two to th- two and a half to three and a half acres. Um, but each of our projects total is about, you know, 13 and a half million, 10 of 10 build three and a half dirt. If you go and do class C storage, you're probably on the outskirts of a city and your rents are lower and you're going to go buy more acres for n- cheaper, but you're going to do single story drive up you know, like, like the storage has been around since the 80s. The issue is, in my mind, is this. Why do I do class A is a big question, Andrew. Why don't you go and do a bunch of class C or conversions or all that? Well, the obvious reasons is with all this capital I've raised, scalability is a big issue. Putting that, putting this, because we're, we're wanting to get to the point where we do 200 million a year in development. 200 million in class C storage, that, that's a pretty, that's scalability issues there, right? How do you, how do you get that much money to work in that class? The other issue is there's a company coming out. It's been around for five years. They've been getting a lot of funding. It's, it's neighbors. And it's basically Airbnb for storage. And I think it's a cool model. So they, you basically just rent out a closet, a shop, a garage, whatever it is, just like Airbnb. I think that that's going to be really hot in the areas that household incomes are like 50,000 and less. Because let's face it, that those, those regions are going to want to save, they're going to save 80% of their storage costs. And they don't care if it's in Jeff's closet, who cares? I feel that families and households with 70,000, 80,000 plus are going to stay paying that 150 a month for the beautiful class A climate controlled light. Climate controlled security. That's the business. That's what they do. It's not like it's Jeff's basement or Jeff's garage or Jeff's, (laughs) you know, closet in his spare bedroom. Wow. I think I I 100% agree. I yeah, think I think neighbors can be a cool business. I just think that they won't be a competitor of ours due to our income criteria where we build. And then the second thing is I'm a big believer and it's already happening. This, this isn't just the future, it's today. Amazon is a virtual mall. So back in the day, you have malls and you'd have people in the malls as tenants and they would sell their goods to customers. Well, Amazon is basically a virtual mall and they have individuals like anybody can go and buy a bunch of stuff and sell it on Amazon. They're an Amazon vendor. Oh man, I feel like everybody I know is like got an Amazon store. Yeah, exactly. I don't want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Nothing to do with that, but you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Anybody can go use that virtual store to buy and to sell. Right. So the cool thing is we cater to that. So if you walk up and down our hallways, you'll see garage doors open. You'll see people in there with a desk and racks or whatever, all their inventory. And that's their store. That's when they box everything up. And then what I used to see is people would box everything up as an Amazon vendor, bring it to their car, bring it to a local FedEx, UPS, whatever it may be, and ship it off through Amazon to their customers. So what we started doing is we started putting shipment centers, Amazon lockers in our lobbies. 
So now it's a one-stop shop. So people can come in, use our facilities. They can rent a unit for their Amazon vendor business. And then they can bring their stuff to the lobby and ship it instead of loading it in their car and driving it to the local shipping center. So we love, that's, that's, I'm so bullish on storage because we're basically, I shouldn't say the new mall, but kind of, I mean, all the stores are in our facility shipping things out through Amazon. I just think it's the coolest thing. I think that's really cool. I didn't, know, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. So do you, you guys don't have any sort of hours that people are not really allowed. It's all 24 seven, right? 24 seven. We'll have someone there full time all day, but then it's 24 access with codes and, and all that. Um, but you, but the, it won't necessarily be you. It'll be public storage, right? Cause they're yeah. the manager, but yeah, still it's you at the end of the day. So somebody is typically at these bigger places 24 seven then. Uh, humans are probably there till about eight to 10 and then from, still call it like at eight in the morning till 10 at night. And then the rest of the time is 24 seven, just like security codes. And it's all very, very secure. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay. So I'm sure there's somebody thinking this right now because I know I'm thinking this right now. Do you ever have people that like try to sleep in these storage units? I knew, I knew that was a good question. So no, because when you go into our facilities, um, it's timed. Um, your phone, your app, it has tracks. So it'll, it'll the, the time, the machines, the technology knows when you come in. And if you, and if that phone or whatever it is, doesn't leave in a certain amount of time, because they know in and out um, and there's cameras, then the alarm would be set to our manager and they would show up on site. So it, it, it'd be pretty tough to sneak into one of our facilities and not leave. Wow. Okay. That makes perfect sense. So there's some, 60 some Sorry, 68% limits people from being there for too long. But you guys don't have a problem with somebody coming in and working an eight or a 10 hour shift at one of the units, just as long as they're not there for 15 or 18 hours at a time. Totally, totally. And, and there's it. relationships that are made. I mean, the manager on site's there every day. So if there's an Amazon vendor that is just really literally working and not causing any harm, and there's cameras to prove it, I'm sure they work things out. It's just kind of that random dude that comes in and doesn't, you know, they're very, because 68% of what people want in storage is safety. And the reason that is, hmm. is because 65% of storage is leased by the women in the household. 65%. Wow. So we built like, and, we, and, and, and so we built an 85% of storage is by drive-bys. That's why it's leased, not by online. 85% is by drive-bys. By people drive. So it's very important to have these storage units next to major intersections or highways or anywhere somebody could drive by it right? There's a Correct. lot of traffic, right? Wow. Yep. I never would have guessed that. So and the then, advertising that you do is to supplement anybody that may not be driving down that road, basically, right? Correct. Okay. And then another thing is, since we cater towards women of the household, which we all know they're the boss, my wife is anyways, <laughs> uh, we uh, groceries are some 65% um, of groceries are bought by women. 71% of kids are at school are picked up by women. 52% of gym goers are women. So we build um, by those three places. All of our storage facilities are by schools, grocery stores, and gyms. Man, that makes, so you're saying the majority schools, grocery stores, and gyms are all used and or trafficked by women in, in, in the majority. Yep. And that's who we need. That's who signs the leases. I'm like, and that's also who signs. And that's also the majority of the people that are do, that are signing up for storage. Holy cow, that's crazy. Okay, so what, this is another good question. What would be the average duration that you, and, and I guess that may vary from market to market. It may vary on size as well. 
right? But do you have any sort of figures in terms of the average, you know, lease in, in terms of how long it lasts? Yeah, so it is fun. I, I, the exact numbers do vary. So I'm going to be kind of, you know, um, an umbrella here. But so the average when the per, out, so storage is kind of like airplanes. The price for our storage units at every site varies hourly with algorithms, okay? Which is another reason to use public and extra space because they have algorithms that the mon pause. Mon pause might change their price every six months. We change them hourly. And so like when you go on a plane, you don't ask the guy next to you like, hey, what'd you buy your ticket for, right? Because airplanes do the same thing. So every unit's different. We just keep them filled. And if in the algorithm also, if you're there for five months, the algorithm increases your price by five to 10%, depending on the market. Because after five months, the odds of you being there for three or more years is like 80 plus percent or something like that. Um, so that five to six months is really when they say, oh, okay, algorithm, boom. And if you're paying 150, now all of a sudden you're paying 160, 165, you're not going to go rent a U-Haul and spend a weekend moving stuff to the- Not for $15 happen. a month. Not at all. Yeah. Now that makes perfect sense. But I like that though. If they're there for six months, they're typically going to be there for about two to three years. That's, that's yep. about right? Yep. Plus, yeah. Plus or longer. Holy cow, man. That's so crazy. I know that whenever I was uh, just graduating high school, my, my dad passed and uh, we had this whole house, right? Of furniture and all this, all this stuff. And we threw it in storage and man, it sat in there for like four years before we even got around to it. I like left and went to college. Forget about like, it. Like, forget about it. Right. And then I come back and I'm like, man, we're spending like $400 a month on this big 30 by 20 unit or whatever it was. And yep. I'm literally like, Hey, we got to cut this off. We got to stop this bleeding. But I mean, but I'm saying this because it's like years can go by and people just don't even realize. Yep. So Not I agreed. would imagine that, you know, that's, that's something that happens as well. I love yep. that. Holy yeah, it's not a sexy business, but like it's, it's consistent. And a lot of, so storage has been around since 300 BC back in China. Sure. And then obviously in the fifties and the eighties, the single row stuff really started booming in the U S and then five to 10 years ago, the class a started. So people are always like Got saturation and this and that. I just think between Amazon vendors living in less square feet and the new style of storage that was just introduced only 10 years ago, which means you have a lot to replace of the old stuff. And then there's, there's 333 million people in the U.S. today, okay? In 2050, they're projecting 404 million, roughly. Currently, 83% of the people in the U.S. live in major cities, and they're projecting in 2050 that 89% will live in cities. Well, that's an $80 million influx of people to the cities. At six square feet on average per person, that's 500 million square feet of storage that needs to be built and developed not including depreciating items that have to be replaced. So that's just a quick 30 year. Wow, that is that is crazy though. But yeah, the population's growing, more and more people are buying stuff. And that means that more and more people are gonna have to store stuff. Holy yep. cow, that's crazy. How many years have you been in the storage game? Oh, I'd say I'd say four years of the, four and a half, five years. So half of, of the Abernathy Holdings existence, because we've been farming since early 1900s. But our family, from me, first time ever did something other than farming. And that was nine years ago. And half of that has been in storage. So four to five years. Nice, man. That's amazing. Holy cow. And you've already raised over $100 million to date all by yourself, Andrew. Wow, <laughs> bro. That is super impressive. Thank you. Well, I appreciate very, it. Very, very cool.
That is I love so people. crazy. So tell us a little bit about the way in which you raise money. And I know that there's probably some people uh, that are going to be listening to this and they're going to say, you know what? I got some money laying around. I'm interested in talking to Andrew about investing some of this money as well. I think that would be a good yep. way to kind of wrap this up. Yeah. So we do things a little differently and, and maybe I'm leaving money on the table, but I think it's fair. So a lot of companies out there, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying a lot of companies out there, what they'll do is you have a construction company that's owned by one person and they'll go and find a piece of dirt that's raw and they'll buy it for a million. And then that person will zone it and get ready for building something, apartments, whatever it may be. And then they'll put it into an LLC and they'll get, they'll give themselves a $2 million credit on that saying, Hey, it's developed. It's ready to go. So they'll double their money on that investment right out of the bat. And then they're going to bring in basically syndicating. They'll bring in a bunch of investors to that one pool to build this facility. But then their construction company will build it for a fee. Their whatever they do vertically will charge it. And 100% goes to that person. So what I did is different. I opened up Abernathy Holdings, an LLC, and I went and I put everything in it. So Abernathy Holdings owns the construction company. It owns all the facilities. It owns everything. Andrew Abernathy just owns shares in that that I've bought just like everybody else for the same price for shares. And that's what's raised the money. So why we can make 35% on average a year in equity is because all the vertical integration is shared amongst all of our partners. It's not hoarded to me or another partner of mine, which is very unique. Another thing is we don't do profit carry. So a lot of companies after a 5% hurdle will take 20% of the profits or whatever it may be. We don't do any of that. We take a simple 3% management of raised capital. So at 100 million raised, there's 3 million a year. That covers my salaries, everybody's salaries in the company, travel, office, everything. And there is no other carry. The only way myself and my team will become wealthier is by owning units that we pay just as much as you and it's common share. There's no A or B. And we'll get wealthy on our unit valuation, just like you. And that's very unique. So again, am I down to leave money on the table? Maybe but I'm a farm guy. I'm just like, it's simpler. It's fair. And obviously we've raised a lot of money. So people must like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if somebody wanted to connect with you, you have a website, andrewabernathy.com. And for anybody that's listening or driving, for example, I'm going to spell this out for you guys. Andrew is pretty easy. That's A-N-D-R-E-W. Abernathy is a little bit more challenging. It's A-B-E-R- N-A-T-H-E-Y. So that's hey, don't forget Andrew. that E. It's a silent. <laughs> that's right. That's right. AndrewAbernathy.com. Guys, you can also check out Andrew on Facebook and LinkedIn. He's got some information over there as well. But really just head on over to his website if you want to learn more. I mean, this guy is incredible. I'm so impressed when I got to meet him in person a couple of weeks ago down in Tampa. I was just like, wait, what? You did what? And you did that so again? And you're how old? And I was just like, holy cow, I need to know more about this. So I invited him on the show today. And Andrew, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm so grateful for your time. Oh, and you. um, again, anybody that's interested in investing with Andrew, check him out, go to his website, andrewabernathy.com. Um, Andrew, thanks for coming on the show. Do you have any parting words for anybody that's listening to the show right now that's thinking, yeah. you know what? I just need to do better. I need to be, be better. And I'm probably stuck in this job that I hate. You know, what would be some good action things that somebody could take away from this? No, I appreciate it. First off, it's an honor to be on the show. I mean, my biggest things are just always think bigger. Like 
thousand times. I know there's 10x, do thousand x. They go huge because even if you miss it, you're fine. And focus. Gosh, if I could go back and just start with storage nine years ago and not have to have the helicopter company hiccups and all that. I mean, it's probably the best thing that happened to me, but focus, be the best at something. And in a world of instant gratification and short-term mindsets, if you can be different, if you can think long-term and you don't need instant gratification, you will succeed just by the simple, just by the formula of your business model. So just think longer, focus, and, uh, and think bigger. Man, you nailed it. Think bigger, focus, be the best at something, be different, and think long-term. Man, you nailed it. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget, check out Andrew's website, andrewabernathy.com. And with that, we're going to be signing off. Andrew, thanks for joining us today, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy, you get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.